Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Scott Chase. This is my truth. Tell me yours. Uh, on this episode, I talk with Jim Ryu. Uh, Jim is a singer, songwriter, musician. He just released his latest solo album, The Hook. I guess it's technically not a solo album. It's a collaboration al- album with Ted Ehler. Um, <clears throat> It's called The Hook. Uh, It's a fantastic, moody, atmospheric album. It's on Burst and Bloom Records. And he also is the drummer for the band The Summer Winters and a bunch of other projects. And, you know, uh, Jim's someone I've known tangentially for several years through several good friends. And it was cool to sit down in his... Uh, a little studio practice space in Kittery, Maine, and chat with him. And uh, yeah, uh, I enjoyed kind of getting to know Jim a little bit better. And I hope you enjoy my chat with Jim Rear. Is it, um, sorry, I just started Poetry, uh, short stories, uh, is it artwork. Digital or is it physical? Physical. Nice. Yeah. That's a, it's a beautiful thing, man. That's a, that's a dying medium of physical periodicals. It was, man, I remember growing up, my parents got Newsweek magazine for years, right. and I didn't realize. I mean, I can't remember the last time I bought something on a newsstand, but I didn't realize Newsweek was not only not physically published, but doesn't exist anymore. Right. And I, but but I mean, I guess it makes sense because it was their target demographic who's baby boomers, right. and I guess they just weren't interested in adapting to you know. But I mean, I'm sure it's pretty hard to actually make any sort of money as a digital periodical, you know? Um, I mean, I I just noticed in general, even stuff like I read, you know, for years I used to read Rolling Stone and I'll see their digital articles now and every once in a while I'll click on one and I'll read through it and there's all sorts of spelling errors and typos and it's just, it's, it's weird how social media in the last 20 years has completely changed how news is you know received and what is considered news and right. you know but anyway not to go off <laughs> a tangent at you know 10 5 in the morning it's a good one. but um well i mean you were saying right before i hit record you've already been up you're doing a drum lesson beforehand i um i don't think i knew up until a couple days ago that you play drums, but you're playing in the, um, oh, there's a flyer right here for the, uh, oh, yeah. the some summer fest here in, uh, when you look out, it's like a block and a half. From know, your house. They're going to use my drum set because I'm right here. So nice. I'm going to backline my drum set just because I, you know, yeah, easy for me, but is it, is it inside at the dance hall? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think they did that just in case there was weather. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, but yeah, drums were my first instrument, actually. Interesting. Yeah. My How dad, my dad was a jazz drummer. Okay. Seven when I started playing. Uh, right on. And then I kind of went through a rebellious stage in my teens where yeah. I stopped 
playing, got into sports and Was it just because it was drinking. that's what your dad did and it wasn't cool? Sort of, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And then so what was your first uh what, like what brought you back into it? What brought you back to music? Um I think just Well, I was into, you know, writing. I got into, you know, writing uh, poetry and yeah. uh Yeah, I think I think what happened was it just I loved listening to music and yeah. realized, wait a second, I, I used to like this music thing. Let's just right. give this another try. And yeah. I got into like in college, I started playing drums again. Okay. In a band. So uh, it was a good amount of time between when you stopped yeah. initially and when you picked it back up. Right. Yeah. There was a good gap there where I really didn't even touch the drums. Probably between thirteen and nineteen, maybe. So there wasn't any like high school bands or anything. No, nothing like that. Sports was the the. Well, I mean, sports was initially. Then it was you know drugs, and girls, sure. and drinking, sure. and all the all the trappings of teenage life. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I never played like organized sports or anything. But, I gotcha. Well, I mean, I played like little league and stuff. Right, right. But by the time I got to junior high, high school, I was involved in other extracurriculars. Sure, sure. Yeah, but then. College, yeah, music kind of, yeah, yeah, kind of came back. So were you, you you were playing your own songs, or were you were you in a band, or was it just just yeah, I was in own? a band. Uh, I met this guy who was a songwriter, and he was trying to start a band, and I was like, yeah, I played some drums way back in the day. I'll, I'll try again. Sure. We just started, and we did some co-writing together. Actually, yeah. it's when I first started writing some lyrics, and okay. but I didn't, I couldn't play any instruments at that sure. time melodically. Yeah, and then um, we were called Five Foot Fellini. We were nice. We were a ska kind of punk band. Right. Was he? Um, was he a guitar player? Guitar player. Yeah. yeah, and vocalist. I'm assuming. Yeah. Gotcha. So then we got a bassist and another guitar player. And yeah. No, no horns? No, we wish gotcha. we had horns. Right. We always like were envious of Fly Spanish Fly when sure. we got their horns. And yeah. We, got, we opened for them a few times, actually. Oh, nice. In like the mob and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I knew John pretty well back in those days. Yeah. It's funny because I've known Mark for... God, uh just trying to reminisce the other day for like 25 years because um, um, his first wife is someone I grew up with. Yeah. So, and then I've, it's funny because I have now worked with his eldest son at two different jobs. I used to work with him at Trader Joe's and now right. work with him at the, at the present gig. But when he started at Trader Joe's, his first day, the manager you know, was taking new people around, you know, whenever they start and introducing them to people. He's like, Scott, do you know Evan? Have, or have you met Evan? I was like, oh, I've known him since the day he was born, which was literally true. So, but yeah, I knew, I've known Mark since Fly Smash Fly, and then I've known, I've known John, uh, you know, for, for a while, um, kind of through my brother, actually. Like, my brother's uh, 
recording studio and then you know right yeah coincidentally john was the realtor who sold my parents their house so right. you know yeah but i mean it's the it's the seacoast yeah. it's it's a, it's a small community right yeah um i uh so how long did that band last five foot fellini so that band lasted probably like four years yeah, yeah the, you know through college uh put out you know we these were the days when you go to like Chris Takeda was doing the thing over at uh, he and like Guy Capsulatro and a couple other guys were basically flopping in the old mill building. Right, right. They were living there rent free, and Chris Takeda had said the, bu- the button factory, or no, it was the not other the, button, the other side of the street. You know where uh, Cornerstone Pizza now Auto Pizza is? Yeah, oh, that's right, man. That building used to be like basically just uninhabited, and so they took over like the second floor. Still had these working elevators. I remember because we actually my my high school band, which it's probably around the same time we did our very first like demo recording with Chris Takedo because that sticks out in my mind because you know, I was vocalist in the band and you know I think we burned through like six songs in maybe two hours but he didn't have a you know a pop filter for the mic right so he. Just looked around the space and he found a pair of socks and he put a sock over the mic, but it was a dirty sock. So I was just smelling someone's dirty foot the whole time I was recording. It's probably Chris's. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh man, I completely f- forgot. I blocked out that memory since you said that. As soon as you said the cornerstone, I was like, oh right, yeah. That right. Was, I mean, God, they that building's been changed for yeah for sure twenty five years. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, we played a lot of shows. That was kind of a lot of fun. Old Norton's. I don't know if you remember Norton's up in Kittery. Or no. Did you? Um, did yeah. you guys ever play the Elvis Room? Uh, we never actually played the Elvis Room. We were like sort of right before that got. I got you. Rolling. Yeah. We kind of ended around like '91 or something. I mean, it was going on, but it wasn't. It, it wasn't what? Well, I, yeah, it was. Uh, that was back when. <laughs> The Friendly Toast was still here on this side of the border right. in Kittery. And uh, it's so funny because the Elvis Room, you know, at this point has taken on like this mythic status. Right. Like it was this, it was this thing for forever, but it was really a finite amount of time. It was like five years. Yeah, and I was away from most of that. I was like down south and when it was in its heyday. What brought you down south? Uh, graduate school. Okay. Yeah, that's where I studied poetry. So I knew it was going on. I, I you know, knew people up here, and they tell yeah. me, "Yeah, Elliot Smith played at, you know, freaking Ella's room." I'm like, oh, that show. Shit. Yeah. yeah. Wish I'd been there, but yeah. So I missed a lot of that. I yeah. came back in '97. Okay. Okay. Or '96. Yeah, right after the Olympics. Yeah. Is it the, I left Atlanta and went to Arkansas for a little while and gotcha. came back. Was the were, were the Olympics in Atlanta? Yeah, ninety six. Okay. And I lived close enough. I could just walk down there, and sure, right into the village and stuff. It was cool. It was man. That's going down memory lane now because I, I I don't know. I feel like 
and maybe it's we just have so much and I hate to use this term but there's just so much content out there there's so much to distract us that I feel like the Olympics don't carry the weight that they did you know because like everything right. kind of stopped for how I mean and it felt like the Olympics were on TV for like a month but I, I don't know how long it is like two three weeks something like yeah, that yeah a couple of weeks and uh, but that seemed to be like all that anyone was talking about and now I barely like the only time I know that it's the Olympics because I'm like you know it's it's every leap year and it's also an election year is also the, the, right. the Olympics that's the only time I remember that it's yeah. the Olympics that year and now they do it every two years because it's the winters yeah they summer. yeah so it's not as the gravitas isn't quite as like right Four years. Here's the, the both the Olympics are going to be. Yeah. It's a year of. Yeah, I always remember the Winter Olympics were. They're not nearly as. They were not nearly as hyped as the uh, summer. Yeah, I think Olympics. so. Yeah. Yeah. They're a little more of a niche thing, you know. Yeah, like, I was. The sports were like you had to be into skiing. And that yeah, thing. it was kind of like the <laughs> the opening band for the summer Olympics right. was like. Oh yeah, we're doing this thing beforehand, and right. you could show up if you want, but you know, right. um, yeah, man. Because my, my parents went to the the Olympics, the Seoul, Korea wow. once, which was I want to say that was '88, maybe something like that. Sounds right. Yeah, yeah. but so we were living in uh, we were living in Silver Spring, Maryland at the time, and we moved here the following year, but. So you moved back ninety six, ninety seven, and were you doing were you doing music at that point? Yeah, I mean when I was down in Atlanta, I, well, not seriously. I mean I was in a couple like just people that got together and played. I, sure. I was actually supporting this uh, folk singer down there. Yeah. On uh, on drums. Okay. And we played a couple gigs out, but I mean, I was so hunkered down into graduate school, sure. Getting my MFA in poetry, and yeah. poetry was really like what I thought was going to be my thing. You know, like I'm going to be a poet. I'm going right. to get published. I'm going to get a job in a university. Right. Teaching poetry and the whole. Yeah. You know, that was my get the grants and. Right. That was sort of the vision. So I, when I came back to New Hampshire, that was still kind of my focus. Yeah. But uh, and I didn't. I had sold my drum set, uh, so I didn't have any instruments when I came back in '97. Okay. Had you had you picked up the guitar at all at that point, or not yet? At that point, I hadn't really touched a guitar. Gotcha. Um, I had. Uh, bought a trumpet, which I do play some trumpets. Okay. Not very well. I mean, on my records, you can hear it. Like, I, I, yeah. could, play, I could play a part. Sure. You know, like, but I'm no, you know, I'm not like Chris Claxton or something. Well, I mean, who is? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but it's funny because I had a dream. I always loved the trumpet. I love Miles Davis. Yeah. I grew up around jazz. My dad was. Yeah. And, uh, Anyway, I had a dream. I literally had a dream when I was in Atlanta one night that I picked up the trumpet and just started playing it. Yeah. Like it, everything came out beautifully. I was like, I, yeah. I had to try that. And so I just went to a pawn shop and bought an old 
trumpet instead yeah. of fooling around. I'd sit out on the porch and try to make sounds. Sure. Kind of figured it out on my own, just like how to how to Get play. So that's that was a musical thing I did when I was down in Atlanta. Um, but yeah, that's all I had was my trumpet at that point. Okay. And just into all like focused on poetry. I also like went through this weird musical stage. I, like I, I was only listening to like classical music. Okay. I really got into like German leader, which is like you know song poetry, right. basically like piano and voice. And I was kind of a snob, really. Was that was that an intentional choice, or did you just somehow? you know, wind down a weird dark path and you're like, oh, this is what I'm listening to now. Yeah, I kind of just was led there by, yeah. by some means, but I also think it was part of a persona that I was, I was trying to be like this, almost this monkish. Okay, yeah. You know, like living, I, I lived in this apartment in uh, Portsmouth. It was, had a tiny little room. Yeah. Um, was, my books were all sort of pile around me yeah and yeah I just thought like I was like a I read a lot of Kierkegaard and, right like I thought I, I don't know I just had this idea of myself as this kind of outsider poet with, sure with this refined sensibility right and looking back it seems pretty silly you now I was like in my what was I like 20 24 or something like that well that's 24. the time when we take ourselves the most seriously yeah exactly yeah. especially you know fresh out of you know, school, right. yeah. you know, you're like, well, I kind of know what's up. Yeah. 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 And I just went out and lived out on a ranch in Arkansas for like two months and did this whole cowboy fantasy thing. Yeah. So I feel like I got that out of my system. Right. I feel like I've been so many different people, you know, like I've sure. been through so many different sort of yeah. personas over the years. And that was like one of, one of the things, even when I was in college was I hated to be like, Pin down to yeah. a, I had dreadlocks, but I would like I dressed very preppy and like wear all my shirt buttoned up. I right. I wear sweater vests and like I always want to throw people off. You don't want to be perceived as the typical dreadlocked college dude. Right. Like right. a pot smoking. Right. And in fact, at that point, I wasn't smoking any pot. I wasn't doing anything. I was like yeah. a straight edge. Was, right. Um. <laughs> so yeah, it was a weird. And I got sick of people asking me where, you know, if I had any pot or can I get them some shrooms right. or something. And I'm like, I, man, it's so funny because, you know, in my previous life, I used to have long hair. I never had dreadlocks, although I tried once. I tried uh, for about three months to grow them and just my hair was so thin it never worked. But, I, you know, I was... I think it was 23 the first time I had any alcohol and, you know, you know, I've probably like the number of times I've smoked pot in my life probably like, I don't want to say I can count on two hands or maybe two hands and one foot. Um, right. But I constantly repeat, you know, people would ask me like, hey, you got, you know, got anything? And I'm just like, right. what are you talking about? And <laughs> You know, all my friends, you know, because all my friends who were musicians, you know, always did stuff and they just thought it was hysterical because they're like, that's the last person people should be asking. But right. was, I got asked that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I went through it, you know, when I was in high school, I, I used quite a bit of drugs and alcohol. Yeah. 
then uh, when I was 19, I sort of went through this mental health crisis of a sort. Yeah. And I really just stopped everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, didn't use anything for, well, 24 years. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, found myself thinking, you know, what, what was that all about? Why did I really stop? And could I, you know, could I entertain doing that again? Sure, sure. And now I've sort of found my, sort of what works for me. The but, rhythm that yeah. works for you. Sure, sure. But, uh, yeah, it was a... And I think part of that kind of like coincided in some ways with getting more serious about music and songwriting. Yeah. When I stopped seeing myself in a certain way. Um, yeah, that's kind of a com long, complicated story. But. Sure. Did you, well, would you, just to kind of use your own wording, did you start seeing yourself in a different way or you just more stopped worrying about how you saw yourself and just were kind of like being more in the moment and just just relaxing a little bit. I stopped worrying about how other people were seeing me. Sure. And, uh, um, I mean, I don't mind saying I, I was basically in the re in recovery, you know, in yeah. the recovery crowd, and sure. Which you know is a sort of like the disease concept. You have this disease, and you're you know if you if you use, you're sort of setting yourself up for a path towards. Destruction, sure. Yeah. yeah. And I had, you know, not really even drank that much. I was 19 when I came into the program and stuff, yeah. so I, I never really had a strong sense of what my relationship to alcohol yeah. could be because I hadn't really tried it out. Mm -hmm. In fact, when I had my sort of breakdown in 19, I hadn't been drinking for like three months, so just looking for answers and... And I got answers in AA, and they worked for a while, and then they stopped working, and then... I, I can 100% relate. I, I did my time in those halls, too, and it, and it took me about two and a half years to realize alcohol wasn't my problem. I was my problem. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, I, and, and it was funny, because a lot of, you know, I did find relief for, for a while for it, but then I was like, why is this not working? And I was like, oh, because I'm not dealing with the underlying issue like that you know that substance was never the never the right. issue it's, it was the why right you know so i can definitely relate to that and i think once i started to form more for me it was about connections you know like getting plugged into the musical community here and, yeah you know i was sort of isolated from 19 you know, for a while, just like pretty much hanging out with just AA folks and sober folks. Yeah. Kind of afraid to venture out, like yeah. into. And I think that was a big part of it, like feeling. Because, you know, as you said, a lot of musicians use drugs sure. and alcohol. I mean, it's just yeah. kind of. Um, not all of them. I mean, it's, it's no. a stereotype, but it has a, you know, a foundation. Yeah, there is, there is some basis of, of you know, Truth as to why that stereotype is there. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, but that I mean, I, I definitely was right before I kind of got out of AA. I definitely was serious about music before that. Yeah, 
Yeah. And I would really say that uh, it was like kind of realizing that poetry was, or trying to become a poet was not very good for me psychologically, that I really turned to music again. Because I had put all my eggs in that basket, like yeah. in terms of my identity and self-worth. and. Well, I would imagine it was probably like trying to do poetry. That's a lot of like withdrawing completely yeah. within. Yeah. Yeah. And I really, I mean, what I've discovered is that I'm a, kind of a shy person, but I'm also, I, I feed off of social interaction and yeah. other people and connections. Sure. I didn't really know that about myself for yeah. a while. You know, I had to figure that out on my own. Yeah. And poetry was just kind of driving me further inward. And, yeah. Um, and also, like I said, I was the success of uh, becoming a sort of published poet and all that was yeah. really just kind of hanging over me like this. Because I was having, you know, I've always struggled with anxiety, particularly with agoraphobia, like traveling. And yeah. I remember you made uh, some posts on social media fairly recently. About right, that, which, yeah. Yeah, I mean, not that I, I mean, we know we don't know each other super well, so it's not like it was like, oh, that's surprising, you know, but right. I was just like, oh, that's, you know, it, it was it was refreshing to read, to be honest with you, but right. yeah. And... I always thought that like poetry was like okay I'm, I have some issues psychologically but at least I'm an artist a poet sure, you know sure. like I had this and so if I'm successful at that it sort of mediates this other thing or makes it okay sure in some way yeah you're like I maybe deal with this but look at what I've accomplished anyways sure. right sure. yeah yeah and eventually that thinking led me down a really you know, dark path. Because mm -hmm. when I wasn't writing, I wasn't successful. I was, I started thinking, you know, self-destructive thoughts, and it became, sure. you know, and I had to eventually get help. You know, I had resisted medication, and medication I know isn't for everybody and yeah. stuff. But yeah. I had been suggested, you know, going on antidepressants, etc. And I was like, no, I'm an artist. You know, I don't want to take away my sure. My music, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I eventually put that aside, and because uh, I had to, I had a job at UNH. I was teaching, and yeah. it was getting in the way of me performing my job, my yeah. being my marriage, and so I think like kind of getting that thing in place where I was started to feel a little bit more I started to realize that yeah yes I love poetry but it was I also love music and I yeah. what happened to that and I started yeah. to really think about I knew I had a thing for words and that I loved words I started to think about how can I put these two things together mm -hmm. and that's when I really started to try to get serious about playing a melodic instrument, I just picked up a guitar. I mean, actually, piano was, was first. I took a course in college way back, like a keyboard thing, where I learned the, sort of the, you know, the, the theory and stuff. Yeah. So I had that kind of there. Yeah. And I could sit down at a piano and play chords and stuff. Yeah. From, you know, just remembering um, 
so I learned how to play the guitar actually thinking of it as like a piano keyboard right I didn't like nobody taught me how to play so yeah. I, I basically tuned it my own way and did all these sure figured out okay this is a I tuned it to a particular chord and then right you know these little half steps and whole steps that makes a this chord and this chord and so it's funny now because like everybody thinks I know how to play guitar because right. they've heard me on record so they'll hand me a guitar like and I'm like I don't know what it, if, if you let me retune it I can play sure it. sure you're like I uh, play it I can play my stuff right I, I you know, right. but yeah for sure yeah I was um there's other people like I, Lou Reed I guess was one who uh, did his own tuning too yeah he, he, he couldn't you could play a guitar if it was handed to you. But. I remember there was, because it's much maligned, but his last album that he did was that Lulu yeah. record that he did with Metallica. And right, right. I remember yeah. seeing some behind the scenes footage with the James and Kirk from Metallica talking about having to learn how to play guitar along with Lou Reed because they're like you can't watch his hands um, yeah they're like they're like we just had to listen and then just kind of figure out uh, what we needed to do to comp because it was his songs right you know and but and it's it's not a uh, I, it's tough to uh, you know growing up I was a Metallica fan and that's that's a tough record to get behind but it is I, I certainly can appreciate it because it was a you know yeah, yeah. experiment uh, for both of them right but yeah but it was interesting hearing people who were you know revered as guitar players being like I don't know what he's doing right yeah 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 I have that problem now playing with people I'm like don't wash my hands because they're not right you're not going to figure it out that way yeah I'll just tell you what chords I'm playing yeah and then they say, well, you're capoed here, so are you playing? No, I said, just when I tell you it's the chord, it's the chord. Like, right. Because it's just a whole different way of thinking sure. about the instrument. Sure. So, um, maybe it would have been better if I learned it the right way, but I don't know. I think I have my, you know, my own sound now. So Sure. Well, I mean, you're, you know, I, uh, I spent a couple hours listening to um, your records yesterday digitally of course not uh although i do have i do have that one on on vinyl um but i was at i was at my uh part-time job yesterday and it there's definitely sonically uh a through line it, like there's definitely a sound that you have that's right. pretty pretty unique and yeah. it's funny because like it reminds me of and you know if you've gotten this mentioned before, I I apologize if it's like a lazy comparison, but it reminds me a lot of a lot of Mark Lanigan's records. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, which I I'm a huge Mark Lanigan fan, so yeah, I, me too. I, yeah, just very it's it's very atmospheric, um, and maybe even like. Not vocally, but musically, maybe like mid-period Tom Waits, kind of like yeah. his Island Records. Right, right. Yeah. That, that's probably my favorite Tom Waits. That, same, same. Yeah. And I love, I love the early piano balladeer stuff, and I like his, you know, weird stuff he's been doing for the last twenty years. But yeah, the Island stuff was really kind of like the, the high watermark for me for his stuff. But yeah, it, it's definitely got that, you know, foggy early morning, right. you know, damp kind of atmosphere which I love 
Which yeah. apparently that's the way he recorded all that stuff. Yeah. He would record in the morning for that reason, because people were kind of a little sluggish. And sure. He also liked, he told people not to listen to any music on the way over to the session. He'd yeah. say, turn your car radio off, I want you just showing up. And then he was just teaching the tunes sort of yeah. on the spots, and you can kind of feel it in the songs, like they're feeling their way into it. Yeah. Each instrument is kind of, he said he usually did like two or three takes, and that was it. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah. And he, and he had good musicians. People could hear really well, so they could just like, kind of like, figure out what he was doing. Yeah. Move into it. Yeah. But yeah, very like, yeah, there's not a... Uh, there's a lack of polish on those, but it's you know gives it gives it all the character. Right. Yeah. They're coming out with all those on reissuing those on vinyl now. Yeah. Because I I never had like Bone Machine and uh, Frank's Wild Years. I was never able to find on vinyl. Yeah. Because they're so tricky. They're so difficult to find. Well, it was it was one of those things that those were like the late '80s, early '90s when. The record industry, the music industry, was like, oh, vinyl's over, CD's the thing. Right. So it was less and less. And, you know, Tom Waits has always been kind of a niche artist anyways. Right. It, right. You know, it's... Almost anyone that I've ever met who's a Tom Waits fan is usually a musician themselves. I don't right. know that. You know, there's, there's no such thing as fair-weather Tom Waits fans. Right, yeah. Uh, so it's not like people are like... It's not like you find those in, you know, in used bins in record stores. If someone has them, right. that's, you know, they have them until, you know, someone passes away and their kids don't want them. And yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I just ordered, pre-ordered all that st when that stuff's coming out. And nice. He, um, yeah, because he, he, I know that a couple years ago he got all the Warner Brothers records. Yeah, they released the older stuff. And yeah. then, yeah, I didn't realize that he had gotten the Island stuff, which is great, because he's, he's been with Anti like 25 years now, and they, you know, they're very hands-off right. with that stuff, but, I mean, that, I, it's fine, because it's, it's, it's a subsidiary of Epitaph Records, right. um, which I have a couple friends who are on Epitaph Records, and they're just like, yeah, they don't, they don't give us any notes. It's just, yeah, when you're ready for the record, just turn it in and, you know, we'll figure it out. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Julie uh, Holland, who I work with, uh, yeah. she's on Anti. Yeah. She's talked to me a little bit about the label. She said, yeah, they pretty much, I mean, the only time they deal with her is when she's actually putting the record out. Yeah. Which is great, she says. I mean, there's no oversight in terms of when she's making the record. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and they don't do a lot of like promotion for her or anything. It's just like, but yeah, they basically send it to whatever periodicals right, cover yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, my um, you familiar with uh, the band Converge? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, I, I'm I'm friends with one of the guys in that band, and they're on Epitaph, but it's basically the same thing. Right. Like they don't. They're like, can you give us a rough idea when you might turn it in, just so we can plan ahead? And right. That's they're like we don't care you tell us right. you know when the record's done and yeah so how did how did, to 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 jump around a little bit um because you what was it 2021 you did that song with Jolie uh yeah a couple of years ago now yeah. yeah how did how did that come about um that was uh just sort of a result of 
the pandemic on sure like I mean I, I was really like everybody else a lot of musician friends we weren't playing gigs right. uh, I had a Sunday jam here you know for a while I had sort of stopped doing that because mm -hmm. I wanted to be safe yeah and I was doing a lot of stuff on my own and I just got this like it's like let's just why don't I, I mean just start reaching out to people who I normally wouldn't reach out to sure. like take some risks yeah and try to make some new connections yeah and I, I always loved her music I the the record Wine Dark Sea is like one of my favorite albums yeah. of all time it's like speaking of Tom Waits it has sort of a Tom Waits feel for sure in fact Tom Waits references her as like one of his favorite singers yeah um she's done a bunch of Tom Waits covers and stuff but anyway so yeah I, I somehow just like on a lark through her Facebook page like sure. sent her a message with a link to my music thinking you know nothing's ever going to come to this sure but I said I really like your music um I have this song I'm working on that I hear as a you know a female vocalist in there yeah here's some of the stuff I've done in the past yeah you know and I just kind of put it aside like you know and I think it was two days later she wrote back and said first thing she said you, you, you sound like Iggy Pop which, <laughs> which like I just felt like I was in, you know like I was a, a 14 year old kid again sure. just been asked someone out on a date and right then, um, and then she said, I sounded like someone else. It was a poet, some poet she knew or something yeah. that did this spoken word thing. And then she said, yeah, what does it pay? <laughs> yeah. What does this gig pay? And I was like, well, I don't have, you know, I'm not a, don't have a lot of money, but, but, and I just kind of, but I also didn't want to say like, have her, I, I, I don't know, you know, like, <laughs> name the price I felt like I wanted to sound sure I did a little research yeah sort of gave her like a I thought was a fair price yeah he said yeah let's do it and we did it and I mean after she was very good about promoting it yeah yeah uh, putting it out on her you know yeah it's funny uh, I think I saw it on her social media stuff before I saw it on yours because yeah. I was like I was like Oh, she recorded something with a dude with the same name as Jim that I know. And then I clicked on it. I was like, nope, nope, it's the same Jim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a cool thing. And then, I, you know, I got all these new listeners from that. Yeah. It's weird, particularly like Netherlands, Sweden, Finland. Sure. Something like that area. They're, they must be really depressed over there. <laughs> well, it's funny, the Yeah, the... Uh, the um yeah, the Scandinavian country. It's funny, like, you know, all the countries that have, like, like you read about, like, have, like, the best health care and the best, like, social systems and, like, they love the most depressing music. Right, yeah. Like, that's all that music does. Right. You know, it, including, like, all the, like, you know, like, all the black metal and stuff like that. You know, I'm just like, that's so weird. That, that Which is interesting like, because, I mean, I think it's true for me as a songwriter that, like, when I'm depressed, I, I can't write depressing music mm -hmm. I can't go there you know it's like the better I feel the darker my music is mm -hmm. you know I, I can go to those places and feel safe you yeah. know what I mean yeah so I mean I think there might be something there about having the a culture that's 
supportive in some way. Yeah. People can go deeper. Sure. That that might be true. I, I don't know. I thought about that. Yeah. See, I'm the, I'm the I'm the opposite. I'm not creative at all. If I'm content, yeah, if right. I, if stuff's going great in my life, it's when I'm the least, you know, productive right. artistically. Yeah. But then it's usually like I'm fine with it because I'm like ah, I've got you know everything yeah. else going on. It's usually like I think artistically for me like it's always been you know similar to what you were saying about connecting with people and it's just like uh, I feel like I'm not connected to anyone this is how I see the world right yeah, yeah right yeah. that's your way of sort of reaching out yeah 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 no I totally I get that too for sure um, you just released The Hook um, which is a record you did with yeah. Ted Ehlers, is that how you say his last name? Eller? Ehlers. Look, kind of like A, A Y, Ehlers. It's funny because I I don't know Ted, but I'm friends with his wife. I've known her since before they were married. So yeah. like, when I saw the record, I was like, yeah, small world. Yeah. Um, how? It was funny because I knew that you had done you had done that single with Jolie, and then you did. Um, a single with your cousin Johnny and yeah, then yeah. My was dad. It and your dad. Yeah. So I didn't know if those were going to be on this record. And then this record came out, which is, you know, a, a, a different thing. Um, are those going to, cause I know you have another record coming out on burst and bloom as well. Right. That is that. Yeah. Out? Well, yeah. well there's going to be an, an EP coming out. Okay. Um, so yeah, it was interesting. Like, and, and my initial thought was like, the Jolie was the single, and then I was going to build off of that. Sure. And, you know, I had this group of songs with that Jolie song, and, I, and it was kind of during the pandemic, you know, and I was trying to play all this stuff. You know, in my, my first two records, I played most of the instruments myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, I got some help from, like, Guy and yeah. Mark McElroy and yeah. some other guys on the Burst and Bloom label and stuff. Um, but I don't know. I just felt like I was repeating myself in terms of like they would, even that Joe Lee single in some ways felt like a a remnant of that last record in some mm -hmm. ways. Mm -hmm. um, or at least a, like a transitional thing or something. More than so anyway, what happened uh, was I decided that I was just going to give it to somebody. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure yeah. who yet, but I didn't want. I wanted to like get it out of my hands, and yeah, there were more songs than what's on it now, which is I had to decide because then I got this this other, this other project thing that. So I had to decide what work would work with what sure. kind of thing. Um, and my first idea and was uh, Mike Heffenberger had just produced Guy's record. I don't yep. know if you heard that one. I haven't heard that one. It's great. Yeah, it's called Into the Ether. So Mike and I sat down and he was really psyched and um, he was like, yeah, I'll do it. And you know, this was like last about a year, a little year and two months ago. 
and Mike's a busy guy. Sure. Like, you know, like a real busy guy. Yeah. Like gigging every night and, you know. And finally, it just got to a point where I was like, um, I needed to move on from the songs. And for me, I had to like get it out there in the world sure. in order for me to move on. So yeah. I was like, Mike, you know, I, I really want to work with you, but you know, I need to get this thing out there. How about, you know, next round we give it another Sure, track. sure. So, and, and Ted is someone I've been playing with for like the last four years now mm. in different bands. We're in a band called the Pomeroys. We're in the Summer of the Winter Band. Mm. And, and I, he's always, I knew he did like production stuff and yeah. did a lot of sampling and sort of, yeah. but, and so finally I was just like, yeah, he's it, kind of sitting right in front of me. Why don't I just like give him one song, see how he does. And I just love what he do with yeah. it. So I was like, hey, let's do this record. Yeah. He was like, yeah. He literally like did that whole record in like a week, and he was like, "Oh wow, that's really fast." Yeah, I yeah. mean, he just like he just hunkers down, yeah, and just like pumped it out. I mean, took us a little while to, to listen, and we did some editing and stuff, and mm -hmm. took some stuff out, added some things. But so, were you for the, for the process for that? Were you like sending him demos, or were you just you know did you had you already recorded? vocals and he built around that yeah i'd already recorded in fact for a lot of those songs i had recorded drums piano everything yeah. but i didn't like the way it sounded that's why sure. i was so i just give him like a piano and vocal track or yeah. guitar and vocal track i mean like do do what you just hear do what you want with yeah. that because i one, i didn't want to play drums i knew yeah. that because i just a certain way that i play that i didn't want on there okay it was weird, yeah, it was like a, I just wanted a, something a little livelier, more dramatic. Sure. Um, so yeah, I love what he did with the drum samples and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a great sounding record, and uh, you know, remember when it, because it's been out, uh, what, maybe a month now, something like that? Uh, Three, four weeks. Only a couple. Only a couple weeks. I, I can't remember. Yeah. I listened to it twice back to back when it first came out. Really like, but it was also like so. I my my job. I work third shift, so right. I'm kind of in a dreamlike fugue state for most of the time. Anyway, right. so listen to that. You know, doing science stuff at three or four in the morning. It's like you know, it's great. But it was also like I was like, oh man, I'm. I'm in more of dreamland than right. ever before. And then, you know, I hunkered down with it again yesterday and I was like, man, yeah, this is, I really, really like the, the sonic atmosphere of right. this record a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Ted's really the one who designed that. Yeah. He brought all, I mean, I, I told him I wanted sort of like a portish head sound. Mm -hmm. I think he got some of that in there. Sure. But it's definitely like, you know, it's reminiscent of a lot of different ingredients, but it's definitely like its own thing to it. Yeah. it you know, it, it, yeah, it definitely has its own its own feel to it. So um, I know, well, I know that you're playing summer winters uh, this this weekend. But are you are you do you have any plans to play any of that stuff live anytime soon? 
No, I mean, there's nothing like lined up, but sure. I definitely want to. It's just yeah. working out how that would happen. Right. You yeah. know, because it's so much of it is Ted. Yeah. We even made this kind of joking around that we would, he would basically just put a backing track. Yeah. Like a karaoke or something. Yeah. And then he'd like be hunched over, look, make him pretend he's like spinning right. knobs and stuff. Yeah. But really all it is is just the same thing. It's funny. There's a few people that I know, musicians who made very unique sounding record, you know, like pandemic record. It's funny because, all, you know, a lot of musicians obviously couldn't do anything for particularly like a two year period of time and people were trying to figure it out and a lot of I feel like a lot of bands did the you know the remote like oh well we're gonna go through and just do our catalog but right. put a different spin on it but I think a lot of people also took the opportunity to kind of experiment and um, a guy that I had on God, like probably two months ago now this guy John Robert Connors, who he's the drummer for Cave-In, but he did his first solo record during the pandemic. And it's a very like, it's like an industrial record. And, but it's all, he sampled his own drums Mm -hmm. and, you know, but put everything through filters and it's very, uh, processed. And, you know, I asked him about, I was like, you know, are you going to do live? And he's like, I don't even know how I would begin to assemble that. Right. Um, He's like, you know, maybe I could, but he's like, you know, he's like, I had to free myself when I was making the record of not worrying about if I could play it live because right. then I would limit what I, what I heard in my head. So right. he's like, but now I don't know if I could assemble this, you know, as a live thing. So, right. yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be the same thing with my next project, uh, which is me more of a, you know, you know Lee Hazelwood? Oh, yeah. Those sort of big sort of orchestral yeah. things like he did with, you know, Nancy Sinatra. Sure. Um, so, I, I mean, I've known this guy for a while, Chris Cote. I don't know if you know him. He was, I don't he, think so. He's, a, he's sort of the front man for this band called Almanac Mountain. Okay. Uh, very, very smart guy, great musician. He went to like conservatory and studied classical music. Yeah. He wanted to be like a contemporary composer, but then realized he really liked pop music and, you know, so he kind of switched gears. But anyway, he approached me about a month ago, maybe two months ago. He was like, you know, I really love your voice, which when people say that, it always surprises me because I always think of it as something that you know, people tolerate because maybe they like the lyrics, you know, you know what I mean? I like it's something you got to get beyond to get to the thing. See, I almost see it as like, it's funny because I think of a lot of vocal and being a vocal in whatever musical projects I've done, the vocalist myself, I've almost, I've almost always looked at vocalists as the delivery vehicle for the lyrics Right. where like, I feel like really, for me, great singers, their voice is almost another instrument in the sonic palette, which I definitely feel like your voice is that too. So, um, which I think, which to me is the sign of like a great vocalist, like, and, and there's a difference between like, you know, someone like 
Celine Dion or Barbara Streisand who have a very like impressive voice right. but I couldn't care less about it like and right. you know nothing against them that, right. clearly I'm not the audience for that stuff right. but that doesn't it doesn't hook me in but yeah uh, like yeah unique voices certainly uh, draw me in you, yeah. you definitely have a unique voice so yeah I was like he was like and I, and I love Leah Hazelwood and you yeah. kind of have that a similar sound and I just mm-hmm. whenever I hear you singing I always hear like an orchestra behind it. Yeah. He said, what, what do you think about us doing a project together? And I said, yeah, I have a couple songs sort of left over yeah. from this other project, which is, you know, a fairly short record, the hook. Yeah. Um, because I felt like there were these two outlying songs that were more country-ish, yeah. sort of. Yeah. That didn't quite fit. Uh, so anyway, from the record you did with Ted, yeah, okay, okay, that didn't get on that record that yeah. I like. So I sent them to Chris, and like he, he did one up in his, and I mean it's it's, he has some pretty amazing software where he, it really sounds like an orchestra. Now sure. it's not. He we you know you'd have to cost a lot of money to get a oh yeah a full orchestra in there, but I mean it sounds legit and. Um, so yeah, it's basically we've done. F- so that kind of inspired me actually when I heard. I was like, I just went into like a three day frenzy of like writing songs yeah. for that. I was like, because I started hearing like how this, my voice and different vocals would would sound with that. So we have five coming out with a five song EP. Nice. One of them is a is a traditional. Uh, it's called the Prisoner Song, which is, by some consider, like the oldest country song ever okay. recorded in like 1938 or something. Oh, wow. um, I can't even think of the guy's name who recorded it, but of course mine sounds very different. But it's sure. Yeah, I wanted to like reference something just to kind of give people some context. But. Sure. Nice. When uh, when's that coming out? So hopefully. Late fall, probably. Yeah. Yeah, we're doing a. He's also a photographer, so we're gonna do a shoot. Yeah, yeah first time I'm actually gonna have my face on the cover of the record. Yeah. Just to kind of capture that classical, like classic Lee Hazel, because he's always on the cover, like leaning on his right. elbow or right. something. Right. Sure. Sure. There's like a mountain vista behind him or yeah. something. Yeah. So we're gonna go out maybe to Mount Agamemnicus or something or find a nice spot. Do a shoot out there. Bring my cowboy hat. Nice. Nice. Are you, um, um, are you going to release that? Are you going to release the hook physically? Are they, are they digital? Um, the, uh, I don't know. We've been talking about that, Chris and I, that it would be cool to get this one on record. Yeah. Because of the sound. Sure. Um, so yeah, no, the hook is definitely just going to be digital. Yeah, it's just. Yeah. I know a lot of Burson Bloom stuff is is digital, but I mean they, you know, for for a small label, they release a lot of stuff. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean my last record, you know, I have a couple boxes for people there. Sure, sure. You know, it's hard to move that stuff now, especially when you know I don't really play out as much as I should be. Sure. I'm not like Dan Blake's lady, like, you know, 
Well, it's one of those things that like people just don't buy records anymore. It's so weird because yeah, I don't understand it really in some way. I mean, I sort of get it. Like, people will pay like fourteen dollars for a glass of wine right. out at a gig, right? But you bring it, they won't pay ten dollars for an album. It's such a funny thing. Um, how I stopped getting angry about it. <laughs> I mean, I I can't even imagine being a you know full time or even a part time musician these days, um, trying to make any sort of living right. at it because you know so much of you know like basically the only way you can make money as a musician these days is touring. Yeah. Um, but then, but there's a, a lot of cost involved with that, and it's one of those, yeah, it's just, it's interesting because if you ask, you know, person on the street, oh, do you like music? You know, nine out of ten people, I love music. Music's such an important part of my life, you know, blah, 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 blah. But as far as paying money for me, because it's been commodified in a way that it's well no music's free i can you know like right. it but it costs money to to make it and you know and but i've even heard from people like in our age bracket that are like well if a band's really good i'll go out and see them live and whatnot but i'm you know i they shouldn't be expecting me to pay money f to hear their music like <laughs> which is crazy right crazy yeah. to me yeah, I mean, as much as I can, I try to support. I mean, that's the sad part, is we're all supporting each other, all the local musicians. And sure. Um, you know, guys like Mike Effenberger, for instance, who, I mean, that's that's his livelihood. So right. it's like, whenever he puts something out, I buy it, I go to yeah. shows, I, you know. Well, for, like... And they will get up there and, like, play, like, unbelievable music and have, like, a little... Bucket like a sure for like a free show, you yeah. Know, like, yeah, the pass the hat thing, yeah. Um, no one's going up there and putting like 20 bucks in or whatever. I mean, with these guys, could be playing in like New York, or, like, yeah, you know, they could sit in with like anybody, really, yeah, be proficient. It's it's funny because at this point, pretty much the only time I buy vinyl new is it's usually. Like friends and stuff right. like that. Um, one because like I want to support them, but two like vinyl's so expensive. Uh, and I'm just like, you know, I'm like I'm not gonna buy someone's records sight unseen without hearing it. You know, um, right. unless it's unless it's someone that I know and wanna, right. like, you know, not only support them, but I'm like I like having a tangible thing. I'm like, look at this thing that my friend made. It's right. like you know, yeah. but I mean. You know, I came, I started buying my own music uh, in the height of the CD era, so I still am, you know, CD is still my preferred format, but more and more, a lot of people, if they are putting stuff out at all physically, like right. CD is a lot of times the thing that they're not making anymore. Right. But, you know. Yeah, it's kind of got hopscotched. And yeah. But, which, uh, which is funny because it's the least expensive one to make these days. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, computers don't even have like CD drives. Anymore. For sure. For sure. I mean, when I bought, I you know, my car's a 2021, and I bought it new, and 
the guy who sold it to me is like, and it's great because it doesn't have that clunky CD player in here. And I was like, I realize that's probably a selling point to most of the people you talk to. I was like, that's not for me. I was just like, he's like, well, we could get a, they make, Nissan makes a CD player. We can hardwire into the glove box. And then uh, I was like, do you mean a disc man? I was like, I could do that. I was like, there's an aux port here. I could do that myself. You know, because I was like, what's that cost? He's like, oh, it's about $300. I was like, yeah, I could buy a $30 disc van and, right, yeah. you know, $8 aux right. cord and do it myself. But, yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. yeah. Our car has a CD player. And uh, just recently, the speakers, something's wrong with the speakers yeah. in the car. The, the low end is like all, so I haven't been able to listen to music in the car, which yeah. to me is weird because yeah. that's one of my main places to listen to music but but I still like burn CDs and you know make mixes oh me too yeah yeah I've uh it's that was one of the things that made me really feel old a couple years ago you know because working at Trader Joe's was a good swath of different ages that I worked with and Inevitably, it's usually music and movies and conversations that I connect with people about. And, you know, I have a couple friends who are musicians that, um, like, for their birthdays, I made them, like, mix CDs. I was like, hey, here's some songs that, like, like remind me of you or made me think you might dig them. Right. And they're like, oh, these are cool. I don't have anything to listen to. Listen, <laughs> so I'm going to take the track listing and make a Spotify playlist. I was like, I, they're like, you should, could just make me a Spotify playlist next time. I was like... I don't use Spotify. Like, yeah. I don't like, and it's not even a, it's not even like a snobbish thing. Right. I just don't, uh, you know, do yeah. it. And, and, you know, when people ask me, well, how do you discover mu- new music? And I was like, I've never had a problem finding yeah, stuff to listen to, you know, but you know, I, I, I'm also, I knew I was truly getting old when I realized that I was, not only was I out of step with like what other people were doing, but I didn't care right. anymore. I yeah. was like, that's fine. Yeah. I was like, I'm not going to try and change how I listen to music and stuff like that. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. It's just a hassle, like setting up a new account and figuring yeah. out a new thing. And you know, then they got the ads and then you have to. Well, and then inevitably when your device fails because everything is made to be broken now uh you know when you get a new thing you gotta try and remember the password from when you set it up three or four years ago right and you lose a bunch of the stuff in the transfer and you know people make fun of me for you know still like buying movies on you know blu-ray or whatever right. and but you know they're like oh well, i had it in my itunes account yeah until the studio changed their you know their right their um, agreements and right, the movies yeah, that yeah. you bought five years ago you don't have anymore right yeah 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 it's a weird weird world it's a it's a strange time that we live but I also I think from an early age I've always you know I grew up you know watching Mad Max movies stuff like that and, and the older I get the more I realize I was like oof they're, they're not as much fun anymore because they're more seem to be like prophecies than anything else right and I was like okay when 
society crumbles, I'll have all the stuff I love. Yeah. You know, I'll get a solar panel and still be able to listen to and watch all those things that I love where, you know, when all the servers are down and everything. Right. But, you know, probably have bigger things to worry about then. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you'll have some artifacts and real. Yeah. Well, and the fun thing, uh, you know, I was telling my brother this the other day for the, the second time in two years, I had a band that I really liked <laughs> reach out to me because they had, they had regained their digital rights because their their record label had ceased to exist and returned all the rights to the artists. And they had some kind of rare stuff that they had long since lost the masters for. Right. Didn't have any sort of anything for it. And... Um, knew I was a completist and they're like, Hey, do you happen to have this EP or this? And I'm just like, yep. (laughs) They're like, can you make us a copy of it so we can put it up digitally? And so I uh, twice, yeah, I literally just, I just burned, uh, uh, a EP that someone had put out in like 2005 onto a CDR Packaged it up, shipped it out to LA to, to to his new digital label, yeah. so they could put it up online. They're like, "Give us your mailing address, we'll send you a care bag." I was yeah. like, "All right," but I was just like, "Yeah." Uh, now I now I I feel sort of justified in my my hoarding piles of music and yeah, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like in one of those post-apocalyptic movies you can be one of those guys like that, that everyone goes to like yeah. in the middle of the desert he's got yeah. a little sh- I've got it here somewhere and he's like yeah he goes out back it's in this pile little spectacles yeah. on he's yeah it was uh flipping through the what was that that you know bringing it all back to Tom Waits do you ever see that movie yeah Tom Waits and the book of Eli yeah he waits plays that guy yeah I, I love that movie it's funny because I didn't think about it until probably the second or third time that I saw it that that was his second movie with um, Gary Oldman because they were both in Bram Stoker's Dracula too. Right. Gary Oldman's like the heavy in the book of Eli. And right. That was, you know, I used to have a record store out in Arizona called Renfield Records, and we I named it that after you know because Tom Waits played Renfield. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen all the movies. Probably Down by Law is my favorite still. That's a that's a pretty good one. I kind of had the, I, I kind of worked backwards with him as an actor. I think probably Shortcuts was the first movie oh, yeah, I had seen, yeah. which is a great movie. Um, and that was also the first movie where I realized Robert Downey Jr. was a really good actor. Mm. Uh, but I saw that, and then I don't remember if that came out before or after Dracula, but it was around the same time, and then realized I had seen him because he has a cameo in the Fisher King. Yeah. Um, and then, which we, that band that recorded with Chris Decatur when we did our album, I actually, we actually sampled his little speech from the Fisher King, put it like between side one and side two. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, uh, one from the heart. Yeah, he's done a lot of stuff with Francis Ford Coppola right. over the years. Um, but yeah, and then I yeah I discovered John Lurie through Down by Law. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, he's a character. Oh, it's fine. Yeah, she mentioned that you sound like Iggy Pop. I lo- I'm I'm not a huge fan of the movie. 
coffee and cigarettes. I don't yeah. know if you've seen that, but oh, I yeah. do love the Tom, the Tom Waits, Iggy Pop, Pop one. Yeah. It's just like when he's like giving him a hard time, he's like, well, you don't like the drumming on my records? Right. Like, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Which is, I, I remember seeing that movie with someone in the theater. I think it was at the music hall, actually, and I leaned over and I was like, it's funny because Tom Waits' son is his drummer. Right. And she's just like, you know I don't care, right? Yeah. I was like, that's fine. I'm going to tell you anyways. Yeah. yeah. Casey, I think is the name. Casey yeah. Waits. Casey Waits. Casey X Waits. Yeah. 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 Um, he did... Uh, he did a, a fun little trade back and forth. Um, there's a there's a rap group from Minnesota called Atmosphere. Oh yeah, yeah. And he did. They they similar to what you did with Jolie. They just reached out right. to him like cold called and they're like, hey, huge fan. Yeah. Uh, would love if you wanted to do something on it. And he just Tom ended up beatboxing on one of their songs. Yeah, yeah. And then he's like, you got to return the favor, but you got to do something you didn't normally do. So the the rapper from Atmosphere played guitar on one of one of his more recent records, just on one song. But, nice. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. So, yeah, there's some weird guest oh, yeah. instrumentalists on weights. Um, Stuart Copeland plays on one song. Yep. Yeah. God's, God's Away on Business. Yep. And another one, I think. He did well, and he he's had Keith Richards on like a yeah, few right. records. Um, Dave Brubeck's son plays cello on a lot of the stuff. Yeah, and uh, I know he's had Steve Berlin from Los Lobos right, on quite yeah. a few records as well. There was one. Charlie Musselwhite does a lot of. Yeah, yeah. And then he did the, the album with Primus. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, that was my very first exposure to Tom Waits' music was Tommy the Cat, the, the Primus song. Yeah. And that was that was also my first time hearing Primus. Right. So I was like, oh, this is crazy. And then, it, and I didn't even realize, because this is like 92 we're talking. I didn't even realize when I heard that album, Seas of Cheese, that it was a different vocalist. I was just like, he sounds gruffer on this right, song. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, it's, and then, you know, reading the liner notes, I was like, oh, it's right. this different guy, Tom Waits. Yeah. And then, you know, made the connection. I was like, oh, that's that actor guy. And then I was like, oh, no, it's actually the other way around. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, but he, he did that song, Coattails of a Dead Man, on that, which is like, the only song on that Primus record I like, but right. I sort of, I feel like I kind of aged myself out of Primus. Um, yeah. I, I tried listening to him maybe a year ago. Um, and I was like, I recognize they're good musicians. I just, I, I don't have the mental energy for this right. anymore, but you know, you know, not everything's for everyone. Yeah. That's okay. It was one of those things, the, um, I lived in, when I lived in Arizona, I lived in a little town called Jerome, Arizona, which um, Tim Alexander, the, the drummer from Primus, had lived there for years. And um, uh, so he was always like talked about in like hushed mythic tones, but I was just like, oh, okay, all right, you know. But so you are playing this Saturday uh, with the Summer Winters. What's what's that band about? I know you're playing drums in that. Summer, yeah. Uh, that that was sort of a 
ad hoc band mm-hmm. uh, put together last year because Jonathan Blakesley yep. uh, used to be in a band called uh, Tiger Belly, which right. is a surf rock band with Mike yep. Walsh, and yep. um, they're great. Uh, but anyway, they used to play a lot of surf shows, and yeah. so anyway, Jonathan got sort of like known in the sort of the surf scene, like sure. so green surfboards asked him a couple of years ago uh, to play, and at that point, I was in a band with him called Keoia, okay. which was a trio. Yeah, it was. Jonathan and Upright, me, and then we had a, a female guitar player, okay. um, Karen Burnett, who has gone on to, she's still in the band, but Jonathan and I aren't in them anymore, but, so they asked Jonathan, do you still have that Kiowa band? He said, yeah. no, but I have a, another band. He just got a lot, you know, basically, like, I could put a band together. Sure, sure. Said, I know people when's are. the gig? And they're like, well, it's, you know, about a month or so put together this band. No and, problem. Yeah. Yep. And we wrote some songs, but also used some of Jonathan's mm-hmm. back material. Mm-hmm. But since then, we've continued to play and evolve and yep. into a different sound. So we're excited about this, this show because if we're going to kind of be uh, showcasing this new sound, which yep. is less surfy and more like... Um, well, actually, Portisetti would be a good Portisetti yeah. would be a good reference point. It's very kind of atmospheric, yeah. uh, less guitar-driven, more like synthy kind of yeah. stuff. We even have some samples and stuff. Is it a three-piece, four-piece? Yeah, four-piece. Yeah, Jonathan's playing bass. I'm on drums. We have a keyboard. Patet is playing keyboard. Okay. And then uh, Josh Shaheen is playing some guitar and some like samples. Okay. And, and you guys are on pretty early. Yeah, we're like one o'clock. Second. Yeah. Second. Yeah, yeah or there's like a, a Blake Seal. Yeah. He's uh, playing first. Yeah. He's doing a solo mellow thing, and then us. We're gonna get pretty loud, and then Lisa Liza, who's really kind of mellow and yep. acoustic. Yeah. So it's going to be an interesting mix. Loud, soft, loud. Throughout the yeah. day, yeah. Be like a Pixies song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I um, It's funny, I have a gig that night, but I'm going to try and come for, for the first part of the day. Um, i got to find out what time I have to be in Dover for the gig, but... Uh, Is it one of those uh, story... Uh, what? No, it's, um, you're familiar with New Nord? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so um, they're, they, they're doing, they're doing like a residency at Auspicious Brew. Right. Um, starting, this is like the start of it, and um, it, me and Ryan and Mark from New Nord have kind of like pooling our resources, because I've done these shows, uh, I've done this series called Mouth Almighty, uh, right, yeah. which mm-hmm. we're actually gonna the the first one, which will be in December, is the first you know the first one in like a year and a half that I've done um, will be in conjunction with New Nord. But they've been doing this residency at Auspicious Brew, so they're doing they're they're playing. They'll play three songs. 
and then I'm going to come up and sing three songs with them, and then they're going to play three songs, and then Nate Laban's going to sing three songs oh, with them. Yeah. They'll do another three songs on their own, and then uh, my friend Travis Rummo will do, th- so it's kind of like a new Norton Friends yeah, show. Cool. So, yeah. Great idea. So, uh, yeah, it was, I, I mean, I was happy to be, be asked by them because I, I really haven't sung that much um, publicly in the last couple decades. So I've just, I've been slowly kind of dipping my toes back into it myself. Yeah. So yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I like Nate. Nate, the cool guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, I wish, I wish that the, uh, Sam Hill would get play more shows again. There, I, th- we were just talking cause he's, those were one of those, I saw one of them at the press room. It was like one of my favorite shows in the last 10 years, maybe. I, I think I saw them at the press room. It was four years, four or five years ago, maybe. Well, it's funny because Cam, the bass yeah. player, he and I were in a band together years ago. Um, so Cam's not playing with Sam Hill anymore. They, they're trying out a new bass player, but they're, it's not public knowledge yet. So I'll keep yeah, I'll yeah. keep the identity a secret. But and then but Nate and Cam are also working on a new another project. So and I don't remember the name of that. But yeah, he's kind of Nate's kind of been woodshedding for the past couple of years, and he's got a bunch of songs. So right, I know once in a while he'll post something on. And I love his voice. Yeah. And approach and everything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, that's the nice thing about living in this community is just like, I know so many talented musicians yeah. and yeah, it's, it's, it's nice that there's like so many like different, like little festivals and shows and things popping up too because for a while it was really really tough to to be able to play anywhere but yeah i feel like now that the world's sort of i hate to use the term getting getting back to the way it used to be because it's it's not but we're kind of moving forward right and figuring stuff out so you remember the band hump muscle oh yeah oh yeah yeah i'm in a band with pete duchene oh okay yeah the pomeroy's Pomeroy's? Yeah. Okay. We haven't put out anything. Well, actually, no, no. We put out uh, an EP, three okay. singles. Uh, Are you playing drums in that? We haven't played out or anything. Yeah. But we've been, we practice every Wednesday night. It's the funnest. And we made uh, a, a hobo movie last year. That yeah. We put up on YouTube. Now we're making a space movie. And Pete gets really like into like every little detail yeah. of uh, he made like a space a spaceship in his garage which oh, is nice. crazy so we've been filming that last week it was we were in these space suits it was like 90 degrees and we were shooting right. I felt like I was like a real you know suffering for the art sure sure but uh yeah we're kind of I'm excited for that band to like raise its head into the onto the scene and play a show eventually because it, we're doing something different, you know. I think. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I'm. Uh, and Ted's in that band too. It's just, it's just a trio. Just the three of you. Yeah. Nice. It's funny. I I'm I'm actually doing some recording this afternoon with a guy who's. He's like, well, I want to build a video for this. Like, tell me whatever ideas you have. And I'm just like, 
I'll see what I can come up with. But I was like, that's sort of your thing, like, because he he he's comes from a video background, and right. I was like, well, why don't you take the reins on this one? But yeah, it's funny because I'm I've been doing this project for maybe the last year, which is kind of similar to what you ended up doing with Ted, but with a bunch of different people, I'm like, I've got these different songs I want to do. And I, I have a lot of different talented musician friends, a lot of them, different parts of the country. Well, I mean, at this point, different parts of the world. And I kind of send them the little, like right. little bits and pieces. And then I'm like, do what you do and then send it back. So I'm finishing up one of those today. So it'll be interesting to see how nice. it comes out. So, yeah. Well, cool. I'm yeah. uh, I'm very much looking forward to uh, uh, seeing summer winters, and you know, hopefully, hopefully, I'll get to uh, see you put play some of the stuff from the hook. If if you guys get to the point where you yeah, doing I mean, that. I have played some of those songs out, and I, I I mean, I can play them. You know, yeah, yeah. I did a show at the Book and Bar, right? You know, just piano or. I play probably played all all those songs. Yeah. In a different sort of version. Sure. So sure. I mean they're playable. It's just it would be cool though to get some of that that sound that off atmosphere the out there. Yeah. And I think a band could do it. The right band. Could sure. Pull it off. At least yeah. get some of that feel. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, I have the. This is a pretty good place to kind of wrap it up. I do this, I did this thing, this is the first season that I've started doing it where I have like a set of six questions that I, it's not specific to you, but it's it's right. kind of like the, the, you know, the rapid fire round. Um, All right. Um, see if I can remember them. I have them written down, but I'm, I think I remember them. So do you remember what your first concert you ever saw was? First concert? Uh... Wow. It doesn't just pop to my head. That's interesting. <laughs> and it should, but it doesn't. Uh, Buddy Rich. Wow. With my dad, yeah. Yeah. Was that... So your dad was... Because your dad was a drummer, too. So was it like, hey, this is something you got to check out? Yeah. And it was yeah. at like Merrimack High School or something. Oh, wow. What's, but, what's, the, what's the time frame for that? 80s? Oh, man. No, that would have been 70s. Okay. Yeah. Man. Well, I was born in 69, and I was probably about nine, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. 78. Yeah, late, yeah, late 70s. Right on. Um, Beatles or Stones? Stones. Okay. That probably would have been my guess. It's I, I think for this season so far, we're probably about 70% Beatles, 30% Stones, but I can usually guess beforehand who's going to say the Stones. Yeah. Um, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. All right, all right. Yeah, it's 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 about seventy percent Star Wars, thirty <laughs> percent Star Trek too. Um, it doesn't have to be number one of all time, but what's a favorite book of yours? Blood Meridian. And it's funny because I I'm, we're looking at a Cormac McCarthy uh, poster, but I was like, I don't know if that's. That's a quote it, from Blood Meridian. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't I couldn't read what it was. I was like, I don't know if it's Cormac McCarthy, the author, or Cormac McCarthy, the musician. Right. Um, interestingly enough, he's the author that has been mentioned the most. I think you're the fourth person to, to mention him. Um, 
was funny because I, I got into, you know, I saw the road, yeah. you know, probably whenever that came out like 10 years ago and didn't really know much about him. Right. And then, you know, the band Lucero, yeah. um, uh, the lead singer, Ben Nichols released a record. Yeah. In, uh, yeah. The Last Pet Life. I had that record. Yeah. Great record. Yeah. And yeah. And then I kind of, the titles kind of reference parts of the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then, uh, Adam McGrath, who's the guitar player in cave and is a huge Carmack McCarthy fan. And he's like, he talks about him all the time. So I kind of like, yeah, kind of delved into that. Um, I just started, started listening to, uh, audiobook version of all the pretty horses mm -hmm. so yeah um i'm psyched to get through that whole series yeah uh, i know forgetting this isn't even the right cheat sheet uh i'm forgetting one of the questions oh that's right how could i forget that cats or dogs dogs which yeah. is interesting because i grew up with cats yeah my family was a cat family yeah I thought I was. I had a cats when I, I when I was in my early twenties. Yeah. And then I just once I realized I was more of a social person. I, yeah. Now I love dogs. Yeah. And I won't. I can't turn back. It's like, right. It's I'm just taken by. I'm smitten by them. It's funny because so I had a dog and a cat that they both both passed in 2020, and so I've you know I've had a couple of years without them, and I definitely miss having them the the dog was by choice the cat was circumstances where it was literally a stray that followed me home in arizona but right. but i was i'm much more of a dog person however just like the amount of stuff that i do in my life i'm like it's not really fair to a dog hard, yeah. and i was like i i could have a cat right now but my living situation with allergies not for me but I can't have a cat, but I could have a dog, and I'm just like, hey. <laughs> so you know, at some point, at yeah. some point. But my wife works from home, yeah. so it makes it really, you know, for sure, for sure. Uh, I think it's more because I, I, there's a, there's always someone at home at my house now where I think a dog could be okay, right? But I've got. Basically, like the next like five years, I got a bunch of travel plans. Like, and I was just like, ah, I don't want to be a, like, a, I, I'm gonna feel guilty about being away for long periods of right. time. Yeah. So I was like, all right, well, maybe in five years, you know, people talk about their five year plan, like what they're doing with their careers. I'm like, yeah, I'd like to have a dog in five years right. again. Um, uh, lastly, what's your favorite dinosaur? Favorite dinosaur. <laughs> Excuse me. I would say a pterodactyl. Yeah. Nice, nice. I yeah, know. it's something about the weirdness of it. And, uh, I mean, I like birds in general. Right. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I remember when I was a kid, I always associated the pterodactyls like the bird dinosaur, and now what we know about dinosaurs, I'm like, oh, well, they're all the they're bird all dinosaur, the really. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's a good one. That was. Um, uh, I don't know if you saw Jurassic Park 3 um, 
I don't remember. I don't think so. I just saw the first two. I can't really recommend it. However, um, the two things that it, it's got going for it is one, it starts out like the, there's dinosaurs in the first scene. It just you know hits the ground running right. like that. But there is a particular scene where they're you know because inevitably it's the same movie every single time. Where it's, right. Oh, we have a park with dinosaurs. Don't worry, it'll be fine. Uh oh, it's not fine. Right. <laughs> but. They're in basically this giant enclosure that was for pterodactyls, and there's like a walkway through it. And at one point, one of the pterodactyls lands on it, and it's just this terrifying scene where it's like walking towards them, and they can't get away. And um, yeah, I was like, oh man, I never thought of a pterodactyl as scary until that point. But yeah, you know, like it's this enormous like crocodilian thing with you know leathery wings right yeah Yeah. right on cool well i appreciate you yeah uh, that was fun yeah yeah right on good to get to know you a little better yeah boom